Equal opportunity is a farce. The deck is stacked in favor of white people, and especially wealthy white men, and is deliberately stacked against black bodies, even those that are middle class. So say co-authors Dr. Hattery and today's guest, Dr. Earl Smith. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk, and I'm very pleased to introduce you to today's guest, Dr. Earl Smith. Dr. Smith is lauded as an expert in several areas related to race, gender, violence, and the criminal justice system. He is here today to discuss the book he co-authored with Dr. Angela Hattery, Policing Black Bodies, How Black Bodies Are Surveilled, and How to Work for Change. Dr. Smith, welcome. Thank you for having me. Dr. Smith, you heard me open today's conversation with a quote from your book, so I'd like you to comment on that quote. Is it true? Is equal opportunity, in your view, a farce? Is the deck deliberately stacked against black bodies? Yes. How do you come to that conclusion? Well, we arrive at that conclusion from several vantage points of being empirical scientists. Uh, one of the things I can say emphatically is uh, the recent follow-up, 50-year follow-up to the original Turner Commission report on urban riots uh, tells us that 50 years later, nothing has changed substantially for African Americans. That's pretty astounding. In 50 years, nothing substantial has changed. And the indices that they use are things like schooling, uh, housing ownership, uh, the wealth gap, those kinds of issues. Well, I've got to ask you this. You know that there are those who stay, say we no longer have a race problem. We had a black president. And then there are those who say we had a black president, and look how he ruined the country. We needed something different. Um, so to those who have those views, what do you say? There are two different questions. Yes. Uh, first of all, uh, I would argue, we would argue, that most people really don't know what uh, President Barack Obama did or didn't do. Um, you know, sound bites don't tell the whole story. Uh, one president across eight years can't make significant change. It just doesn't work that way. Um, he has to work, he had to work with different uh, areas of the, of the government, uh, primarily Congress. They can either approve or not approve things. So it's not really as simple as somebody who looks like him walking into the White House and say, hey, I'm going to make changes today. It doesn't work that way. Our society doesn't work that way. And because of uh, outlets, 24-7, tele television, et cetera, people hear things and they have no way of trying to figure out what's, what's real and what's not real. So in your view, what was real with President Barack Obama's presidency, what is real with President Trump's presidency? Are those things that you feel comfortable responding to? Yes, I do. Uh, first of all, uh, President Barack Obama was a very decent uh, man. Uh, he didn't 
uh, do the kinds of things that we're seeing with the current administration. Uh, he tried to implement policy. For example, uh, he wanted to uh, scale back on nonviolent drug arrests. And one of the things he did, one of the concrete things he did, started doing, was allowing nonviolent uh, drug offenders who were incarcerated in federal prisons to be uh, pardoned. So, I mean, that's a primary example. Uh, if he didn't follow up on his red line in the sand over Syria, uh, I would have to ask uh, what were the military people telling him? So he attempted to make changes that impacted everyone's lives in, 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 in the United States. The current administration is bombastic. Uh, the current administration is making all kinds of claims that many of them, many, many of them are not true. Uh, and the current administration is, is showing us something that we've never seen in the history of U.S. presidents. What is that? Uh, scandal explanation mark. Uh, I've never seen, and I'm old enough to have lived through several presidencies, a president that has to surround himself with lawyers after lawyers after lawyers, everything from porn stars and prostitutes uh, to unethical uh, real estate deals, uh, all this mess with Russia, uh, picking people into his inner circles, cabinets, almost every last one of them having ties to Russia, bringing his kids into the White House, giving them jobs that they're not qualified for, those things. It sounds like you've got some concerns about this administration. I have big concerns about it. Uh, if the Turner Commission report is telling us nothing has changed in 50 years, the other flip side to that is what kinds of cutbacks, what kind of scaling back is this current administration doing? Everything from the mess that Ben Carson is doing over at Housing and Urban Development, everything that uh, mess that Betsy DeVos is doing with public school education. Uh, he got people in there who are flying around on private jets and, and making bulletproof offices for the time. I mean, this thing is, is absolutely out of control. And it's unfortunate, very unfortunate, that we have a do-nothing Congress both houses, both parties, who are doing nothing about it. i got to tell you, Dr. Smith, you sound very angry. You sound very concerned. What are your worries about this particular time in our lives, particularly for those who, in fact, are black folks? That any substantial gains that have made and you know I don't want to sound angry I'm not angry I'm a boy uh, I can look up and see people fiddling around with Social Security, Medicaid uh, I can look up and see Jeff Sessions, the so-called Attorney General uh, going after low-level drug offenders, uh, keeping this private prison industry intact. I mean think about it, if you have a private prison industry and you have 10 beds, it means you need 10 people uh, laying in those cells, sitting in those cells. Uh, I'm concerned that this administration is narrowly focused on what I have no idea. I have no idea what the master plan is for this administration. 
One of the things that you and your co-author uh, talk about in Policing Black Bodies, uh, you, you, you talk about private prisons, you talk about the school-to-prison pipeline, you talk about uh, a way of looking at police killings of unarmed black men as just one form of policing black bodies. And now you're talking about uh, clearly the ways in which black bodies wind up in prison. Let, let me go back a bit and and talk about something that, ask you a question that may actually be very basic for many people, but for those who aren't clear on the basics, exactly what is the difference between jail and prison? Uh... You know, if you stick to the technical definitions, uh, a jail is supposed to house an inmate uh, up to a year. And inside of that year, uh, if everything were working the way it's supposed to, uh, that person would receive justice in some way, shape, or form, uh, and then they would be sentenced, and then they would be, if they're convicted, they would be sent out to a prison where whatever they're uh, crime is they would serve their time in a in a in a in a state or federal prison. But on the other hand, a jail. Say you have a jail in Spokane, Washington, uh, and you have a police person, policeman, policewoman, who committed a crime in Denver, Colorado. Well, after they've been booked and convicted and and given a sentence, you're not going to send that person to a prison in Colorado because of who they are, the notoriety of being a police officer who committed a crime, uh, you might send them to a jail in Spokane, Washington, where they would serve out their, their prison time. So it, they overlap in so many different ways. And the difference between parole and probation, is there a difference? Absolutely. Um, parole, you are serving out your time. You do all the things you're supposed to do. You, you may, I think you serve up to 85% of your sentence, uh, and then you're out, and then you go on to, uh, to meet your community supervisor. Uh, probation... Um, if I'm not mixing up the two, you committed a crime, um, the judge decides instead of sending you to prison, uh, you would have five years probation with an uh, officer, community officer. I see. They're, 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 they're similar in many respects because both end up with community supervision. Are there any race or gender differences in these uh, areas? Uh, do you see a, a racial or a gender difference between those who are in jail versus those who were in prison? Um, yeah. A uh, young black man robs a store. He gets caught. Um, 
and he's asked to pay bail. Um, if we assume stereotypically that he doesn't have the, you know, whatever it is, thousand, five thousand dollars bail, then he's going to be jailed. Uh, and the jail population is disproportionately uh, African American, or depending on where it is, a young white man uh, goes in front of the judge and he might be given probation. Um, and so you have less of white young white males uh, in jails. Uh, women are less frequently involved in the criminal justice system than men, so their numbers are lower. You've also said, though, in policing black bodies that the numbers of women who are in prison has actually increased significantly over time. Yes. Why is that? How, how is lower that numbers happened? overall, uh, but when you look at the uh, progression, let's say you, you, you look at the data from about um, 1990 to now, uh, you're going to see a huge progression of women being incarcerated, and most, upwards to 90% of those women who are incarcerated are incarcerated because they're involved in the drug drug trade. And then we go back to the war on drugs and what that was intended to do. With Nixon, um, at least systematically, with Richard Nixon's presidency, you see a deliberate war on drugs um, targeting African-American communities. There's no doubt about it. Uh, look at the sentencing. You look at who's in prison now from that war on drugs. Disproportionately targeted black and to an extent Hispanic communities. As you and I are talking about policing black bodies on a uh, mental health and relationship program, that there may be some folks who are not quite clear on what the connection is. So let me just say, and then I would certainly ask for your comments, um, but, but let me say that when a group of people are consistently exposed to trauma of any kind, and certainly the conversations we're talking about today are are traumatic, um, even in the talking about them for some people. But any time a group of people are exposed to trauma, it has an impact on their emotional health, their physical health, certainly their relationship well-being with themselves as well as others, and as we very well know can do horrific things to the family structure. Dr. Smith, would you agree with that or would you have a different take on that? I agree totally with what you just said. Okay. So let's go back then to the question that I asked uh, a moment ago. How is it that you are able to say that black women's reproductive capabilities are being policed? Uh, Again, at the risk of repeating myself, that just sounds from a million years ago. It doesn't sound like it happens anymore. Please tell us what you're talking about, or preferably that I misread something. Uh, No, this is not from a million years ago. 
we're talking about some contemporary issues. Uh, in the city of Baltimore, there was an experiment carried out with young black women, 13, 14, 15 years old, where they were, North plant uh, tubes were placed in their arms uh, as a five-year form of contraception. This was totally an experiment. And when we read the research around this experiment, we couldn't find one scientific article that told us that the same type of experiments were being carried out with young white women. Uh, further than that, and, and anybody can Google these Norplant and you'll, you'll see the pictures of these tubes that are implanted in these women's arms. And the irony is, let's assume the tubes started leaking. Uh, then the families of these young girls had to pay themselves to have these tubes removed. I mean, it, it, it's an unbelievable experiment, probably close to the Tuskegee experiments that we know about in terms of syphilis study with black men. Uh, the other thing we know from our interviews with women who are either in prison or those who now have served out their time, uh, some of these women went to prison when they were pregnant. They delivered babies while they were in uh, custody. Uh, they either had to give up these children to family members or the children were sent to uh, foster care systems. Um, some of these women have told us that after they delivered babies, they had these procedures, what is I think it's called tubes, quote-unquote, the, the, the common parlance, had their tubes tied, uh, that they had to consent to those kinds of procedures. And so that's what we talk about in that chapter. Okay. Um, I'm trying to close my mouth back up because it's pretty much on the floor. Um, you're talking about something that happened in Baltimore, Maryland, and you're saying that these women have actually talked to you and your colleague. So I'm guessing this is not something that happened 100 years ago. Exactly. I think these experiments took place in the 80s. Dr. Smith, be, before I, I let you go, um, I, I'd like to ask you about another area of expertise for you. Um, you were described as being an expert in uh, understanding the, the dynamics of race and sport. Um, what about the number of black athletes who commit crimes against women? What's that about? Ooh. That one's tough. Um, that's about hypermasculinity. Um, we start with some theories years ago talking about this hypermasculinity in helmeted sports, like football, hockey, mm -hmm. uh, where you have to be aggressive, uh, and then all of a sudden the day is over, and you go home, and you're still hyped up and you know, you're going at it, you, you, you think your main job in the world is to just crush your competition and all of a sudden you're looking up at your spouse or your girlfriend and something, something's not going right or something didn't go right and we have good data on issues of intimate partner violence and much of it is carried out by people like Ray Rice. 
So it sounds like um, these kinds of sports are not only potentially deadly for the person who's playing them, but also for their partners. Absolutely. And unfortunately, the incidents, like what's going to happen with the shooting of unarmed black men, the incidents uh, grab the headline and then they just disappear from the news cycle. And I would suggest that in, in some ways they're disappearing faster and faster. Oh, I looked at five shootings of unarmed black men, I think one black woman, since March 12th up to this last week. And I pumped those names into our major newspapers, uh, search engines, and only two came up. Stephon Clark in Sacramento and the young man that was killed in the Walmart parking lot. Uh, so these, these things are just fading from view. Let me go back to uh, something you said just a moment ago. And you said that there were several men and one woman um, who were harmed, who were shot. And, you know, one of the the issues that you tackle in policing black bodies, of course, is the fact that women are much less in the news, much less uh, talked about, followed up on. Uh, than men. What what's that about? Patriarchy. Okay. I mean, that's one word that sums it up. Um, you know, people are going to higgle and haggle about this, but you know, we we value women less in this society than we do men. We value white people more than we do blacks. So your best bet is to be a white man. Oh, for sure, um, absolutely. And then when those white men don't make it. They turn on others, blaming others for their inabilities to succeed. This is where you get these Nazi Nazi people marching around, going to Charlottesville, going to Georgia this weekend, uh, causing all kinds of mayhem, uh, but they're just lost. Uh, Colin Kaepernick is unemployed. Um, and he's done wonderful things with, with his resources to assist in some of these under-resourced communities, but black athletes who are football players took a deal from owners that was absolutely downright pitiful. Um, The little chump change that owners said they would throw around these under-resourced communities doesn't even come close to the way that they blackballed Colin Kaepernick. My take is if these people really want to be called activists. They would have stood up in in numbers and said, "We're not going to play." You know, we won't play until there's at least justice. That that Colin Kaepernick would at least go out on the field. There's there's at least 62 quarterbacks on 32 teams. Six, 62. I can tell you just looking at the statistics that Colin Kaepernick would be in the top five, bar none. But and he's... you don't hear any loud no. uh, 
report as to why he's not playing by other football players, black or white. Do you want other members of sports teams in general to be more vocal about this kind of maltreatment, or do you think that there's a particular requirement of black athletes to be vocal? You're, you're right on the last point. We don't ask other athletes to stand up, speak out, wear sweatshirts and T-shirts with you know, messages on them. We don't ask anybody else to do that except blacks, and, and, and that's been for a long time. Uh, people have to feed them, their families. They have to pay mortgages, et cetera. Um, so you know, when someone says, well, gee, Smith, you don't ask lawyers or you don't ask professors to do this, well, th- those those areas are not in the news in terms of the discrimination against a, a colleague. Um, when professors are treated poorly in along racial lines, uh, I would expect their colleagues on their campuses and elsewhere to stand up and, and support them in their, in their thrust for some type of justice. Same for football players. Uh, but we do realize that people have to exist in this society when it comes to mortgages and, and rent and sending kids to college, et cetera, and so forth. If you had a magic wand that worked, what would be your hope for the future? That we get to this fictional place that came with the election of Barack Obama to the presidency. If you remember, after 2008, people were jumping up and down talking about post-racial America. And now we get the analysis, some of it good, that there ain't no post-racial America. So this magic wand would relieve us of housing discrimination, of, of employment discrimination, of testers who send out uh, people to test whether or not you get callbacks for jobs when you when you apply in person and you're and you're black or a person of color, um, that all these big time tech companies, Google and Facebook and all these analytics companies that are you know getting good government support, uh, they don't hire people of color, they don't hire black people. Silicon Valley is white. Um, this magic wand would just clear all this up. I'm reading a paper this morning about the lack of black managers in baseball. Uh, you know, people look at sports. They have they get excited all weekend watching sports, but in the background, the ownership is still essentially lily white, male lily lily white. I think Matt, I think Michael Jordan is the only majority owner in the sports that Americans care about football, basketball, baseball, and maybe hockey. And then you can throw in NASCAR. Michael Jordan is the only majority owner, and he replaces Robert Johnson. No other sport franchise has a a black majority owner. And when people say, well, Derek Jeter is the owner uh, in one of those baseball teams, I say, well, so what? He's not a majority owner. He's in with a, a, a group of people who put their money in a pot and bought the, the team, the Marlins, um, majority owner. And then you can get the coaches, and you can see what happens. Dusty Baker 
is a is a is a successful baseball coach. And here's his question today: Why do I keep getting fired? So even in sports world, where the where the playing field is supposed to be level, it ain't. Dr. Earl Smith, co-author of Policing Black Bodies, How Black Lives Are Surveilled, thank you very much for joining us today. And again, that website, Dr. Smith, can you share it with us one more time? And it's smithandhattery.com. Thank you. Smithandhattery.com. Terrific. And that's and spelled out, A-N-D, S-M-I-T-H. Yes. A-N-D-H-A-T-T-E-R-Y dot com. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, Dr. Smith, Dr. Earl Smith. Thank you. And folks, thank you for joining me on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service, and it is not intended to replace any work you may choose to do with a mental health, medical health, or other professional. Reminding you that you can listen to Mind Talk on demand by going to M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. You can also download the Mind Talk app from your iTunes or Google Play Store. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. I would love to know where in the world you are as you're listening today, so do send an email to me. That's Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. I'd also love to hear your questions or comments or just thoughts in general about this or any Mind Talk program. Once again, that is M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And folks, remember always, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care. Thank you.